I quickly learned that investing up north is not entirely all it's cut out to be. Will Robinson, the managing director of Brenta Property Group. And this is why we don't really do student stuff down south. We're, we're mainly professional and social housing. From a management perspective, they're great. But yeah. from a real life perspective, from the investor's point of view, it's not actually so great. So, so you've got this basically three, three quarters of a million pound asset that yeah. pays you three thousand pound a month. The, the last project we did, which we finished in COVID, was twenty seven million. So we ran that um, with about eighty people on site every day, doing pretty much a mega rebuild. What, what's the opportunity with social housing then? Cash flow. Cash flow. Okay. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't suggest jumping into a development as your first thing because not a big development, but thanks because there is a a lot of moving parts of the development. And they've obviously got a very, very hard work ethic. They've already very dedicated to what they do because you don't get there without, you know, spending a huge amount of time and energy to into doing it. Find something you enjoy doing because if you don't do something you enjoy doing, you're gonna you're gonna regret it and you're not gonna get as far as you want because you're gonna lose motivation and drive. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the CEO Journey podcast, where we talk about all things business and entrepreneurship. Today, I'm joined by a property expert, investor, and developer, Will Robinson, the managing director of Brenta Property Group. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? How's life treating you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, thanks for inviting us on. So uh, it's, uh, it's always come interesting to come and do these things. Uh, life's not bad. Pretty busy, but... Uh... That's always how it goes. Yeah, definitely. That, that's good to hear. And uh, I guess to like jump straight in, could you just give us like a brief introduction to who you are, you know, what you do, what is Brent's property group? Yeah, no problem at all. So uh, Brent is ultimately an investment and development company, as you said at the beginning. Uh, we have two sides to the company. One is our investor side where we help clients invest in high cash flowing strat uh, investment strategies down in the south of England. Uh, predominantly HMOs, service accommodation, title splits, flips, and uh, some commercial revenue developments. Um, and the other half of the company is our own development company, which we build commercial resi uh, sites. So take office buildings, convert them into flats, and do our own HMO bits pieces as well. Um, we are also just venturing into new build options as well at the moment. Lovely, lovely. And uh, I guess like why the south of England? Is that just because you're based there? Or because, you yeah. know, a lot of people will say that there's more opportunity up north especially with lower prices and probably maybe better investor interest um so yeah why why the south well that's a good one actually we i, I started investing in the north so i started investing back in 2009 uh, and brought my first buy to let up in newcastle uh why did we buy up there uh <laughs> well, it's a long way away from where we are but you know ultimately when we were starting out in property investing um there was a lot of there's a lot of talk always about investing up north and rightly so to a certain point you know the price point is relatively cheap um back in the day when i started we had just started the sort of credit crunch it well it was actually in the credit crunch pretty much when i started investing but it was around that time um the days of companies like mortgage express where people could do same day refinance and build yeah. massive portfolio very quickly was pretty much the investing strategy although mortgage express had just stopped you know, in the credit cards doing what they were doing. So people were changing the investment strategy. So, but the education at the time was like, you know, invest up north, build a big portfolio. Um, investing up, I quickly learned that investing up north is not entirely all it's cut out to be. So we found, you know, buy to lets up north, you buy them, they're relatively cheap. Uh, yeah. So you can get in there and get them, which is great if you're entry level and you, you know, your, your resources are a little bit more limited, shall we say. But in reality, what we were finding on a buy to let up north, it was, when it was netted down, 
you're making 200 pound a month, you know, 250 pound a month. You need a lot of those 200, 250 pounds on a buy to let to make a difference. And what we were finding as well after a while of doing it, capital appreciation in the major cities up north is very good. In the places around the major cities, let's just yeah. say it's not quite, well, not quite so good. Um, and also what we're finding that is if you have a problem with a tenant or a yeah. problem with the property, like the boiler goes, for example, that's your yeah. entire year's rent. That's your entire year's yeah. rent profit down the drain. So, yeah. yes, investing up north does work for people. And I know a lot of people that have made a lot of money from investing up north, so I'm not ruling it out. But you need to do it on a scale that's quite, you know, quite aggressive up north. And being, you know, from Newcastle, I think we're what, a good six hours away from there. Um, it's not the most best strategy for us, we didn't find. Um, we went to New- uh, Manchester, started buying student HMOs, worked a bit better, a bit more cash flow out of them. Um, again, still four or five hours away from where we are. Um, alongside buying our own investment strategies up north, we were starting to develop down south. We were buying, you know, flats, one-bedroom flat, two-bedroom flat, um, yeah. and moving into sort of uh, refurbs and extensions and things like that as we sort of doing it alongside. So we were sort of running a, a dual investing campaign, shall we say, where we were buying rights, buying more HMOs and things up north once we worked out that the buy to lets weren't the best best way forward in this, you know, in the current era, shall we say. But alongside that, we were doing development projects or smaller development projects for ourselves where we were starting to flip. Anyway, fast forward, I also had a job at this time. So I was running that alongside, uh, basically I used to run mega projects for ultra high net worth individuals. And the last thing I ran was like a 27 million euro refit on uh, on a thing. So I used to used to run that alongside right. somebody. Anyway, yeah. I'm getting to that. But uh, fast forward to COVID, I've spent a lot of my time traveling around, playing hotels, uh, projects abroad, doing the investments and developments over here for ourselves and thought, potentially there's a market here for what we're doing because we were down south, worked out that, you know, once you can refinance all your money out of a deal, that actually it doesn't really matter where you're investing and actually investing down south and refinancing all your money out of a deal you needed less deals because they were larger to yeah. actually make the similar kind of cash flow. Now, obviously, capital appreciation across a number of assets and things like that slightly varies when you're doing bigger stuff in one thing. But we worked out density development and the size of the development and the amount of cash flow coming out of it. Actually, you need less of these things and it works out better for you. So we basically changed tactics, started investing down south into the HMOs down south, which is what we do nowadays. Um, converting three-bedroom houses and run-down five-bedroom HMOs into seven- and eight-bedroom HMOs. Um, this started working pretty well. And then we thought, okay, there's a market here for helping investors do this. So now we you know, we work pretty much Bournemouth to Southampton up to Winchester, uh, and helping clients get into what we do down here. So there's just to show people that there's another avenue other than investing up north, which is obviously gets a lot of press from the investment side because what we do does work down here. Um, yes, the price point is slightly higher, but what we're seeing in real life, the cost of a you know a three-bedroom terrace house down here is two sixty to two ninety. You're not a million yeah. miles off in sort of parts of Manchester and things like that. The similar similar kind of prices now. So yeah, very true. The gap's closed a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's very true and interesting. Like one thing that you said, which was about you know when when you net it down, actually the cash flow isn't actually what it seems to be. So you know what's the breakdown of that and why? Is it not as high as people would assume if you're investing in North? And I'll tell you one. I mean, I can use an example of some of our own student stock up North. I think they're used to um, some of the management companies up there. They like to put on a management fee on absolutely everything and anything they do. So 
anything you touch, you start losing, you know, anything you touch, they put a 10% onto. There's, there's these things with those kind of management companies you've got to watch out for, the stuff that they don't necessarily promote. But once they start operating your yeah. properties, you start losing bits and pieces. Also, I found in student market, um, mm. and this is why we don't really do student stuff down south, we're, we're mainly professional and social housing, um, is in the student market. So all the students, from a management perspective, they're great. But yeah. from a real life perspective from the investor's point of view it's not actually so great so all your students come together they all leave together so let's just say they're on an 11 month contract you know often they'll be that be in the middle there somewhere that they're you're doing maintenance to the property or there's just a natural void from one lot leaving to the next lot coming so you take an 11 month yeah. contract so you're already missing one month worth of rent from the whole house they all yeah. come together so you're paying your management fees for the whole all your tenants to come in at the same time so that you know they take a, a binder's fee from that so you lose that straight away plus you've got this maintenance and other periods so you all of a sudden end up with six eight weeks worth of rent not coming to you because it's gone to the management agent or it's gone to a void period or it's gone to maintenance so that yeah. instantly gives you a 10 month rental window for those for that property so your void's actually reasonably high in the student world yeah no that, when you that, compare that, that- Sorry, well, the professional. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. When you compare that to the professionals, you know, let's say we have a house with seven professionals in there. Once they're all in, once the house is all being done, it's all nice and new. They're all in. Yeah. They may stay for six months. They may stay for two years. You know, that's all the professional kind of window of you know of length of stay. But you've never got seven or eight people moving out at the same time. You might have one person. He'll give you your notice, or she will uh, give you notice a month before they move out. So you've got a month to find one, maybe two tenants at a time which is very yeah. easy to do in, in the industry. Um, you know, they move out, the house, you know, you check the room, you might have to give it a lick of paint or something like that, worst case scenario. You can get that done in an afternoon. You've basically got one day's worth of void per tenant in a year, you know, and you if you have a changeover of two or three tenants in a year, that's three days void. Whereas in the yeah. student world, you're getting eight weeks full house void kind of gaps in it. So that's where your cash, and you've got to look into these factors when you're working out the real life cash flow of the property. Because it, it's very easy for someone to say, okay, you're going to make, you know, three, four, five, six thousand a month out of one of these properties. But then when you start looking at all the bills and utilities and all the other bits and pieces that go with it and how the voids stack up and all that, you just got to be, make sure your investment is doing what you think it's going to be when you net everything down. Yeah, no, no, very interesting. And like another word that came up was obviously HMO. And that's quite a buzzword. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who, know about property will obviously understand that but for the people who don't what is a hmo and why is it so lucrative um hmo is a house of multiple occupancy so all what it means in its essence is we take a normal house whether that be a three bedroom or you know a three bedroom house for example terrace house and we basically split up the rooms and then rent the rooms out individually to individual people um that means so a prime example i've got a buy to let important um Right. but we've got a buy to lend portal three bedroom that rents out for 1500 pound a month yeah right we've got right, right. we've got a hmo that was a three bedroom terrace house okay where we've got set seven people in there and yep. each room rents out for 750 pound a month wow okay so you know you're, you're tripling yes you've got to net that down again because you've got bills that you're paying which you don't have in a buy to let you've got management costs which are slightly higher than the buy to let but in the end of the day when the mortgage is all paid and every everything is paid, the buy to let in Portsmouth is going to make you five six hundred pound a month. The HMO is going to make you well. My biggest HMO makes me over three thousand pound a month. Yeah, man. Wow. Everything everything's gone out of it. 
Um, and and that's got no money left in it. We refinanced it out. We've you know developed it, added the added the value, pulled all your money out. So you've got this basically free three quarters of a million pound asset that yeah. pays you three thousand pound a month. And, and that's like, what, what's the process of converting? You know your standard buy to let into a HMO. What are the legal requirements? And are there any sort of uh, you know hidden ties? in the process of converting the buy to let to an yeah, HMO it, that people don't think it, about. Yeah, it's it's not a straightforward process, let's say that. I mean mm. so there's things called Article Four. So most major cities have got university and have got Article Four. So that's a planning yeah. directive put in by the council or government um to stop people converting a house into a HMO because in non article four areas that's right. In yeah. non-Article 4 areas, it's permitted development. So you can go and buy, so for example, round us, we, we do HMOs in a, in a town, I don't know if I should tell everyone this, but we do HMOs in a town called Eastley. That's a non-Article 4 area. We can literally go and buy a three-bedroom terraced house yeah, and then utilizing PD, convert it into a six-bedroom house, although we build them into seven, but you can build it into a six-bedroom with no requirement for planning. We just get a certificate of lawful usage for everything we're doing for the roof dorm or the rear extension and the change of use because it's all committed development. So you don't need any planning. Now, in an Article 4 area, the major cities, they brought that in because everyone used to do it for student houses, just change over the terrace houses into things. Now, there are ways around that because, for example, in Portsmouth, where we do quite a few HMOs, um, it all comes down to density and the position of other HMOs, whether you're going to get it through planning. So we work with planning consultants and architects. um, We've got quite a bit of software that can tell us where existing HMOs are, where HMOs are, in with planning so we can work around that those rules to find the houses that we know that we can get through planning but you still have to do a full planning for the change of rights the building right. work all done under all done under pd so we can permit a development right so we don't actually need planning to do the work we just need we need the planning for the change of usage so we do a change of use to c4 as a as a safety position and then we do yeah. a sui generis which is up to seven or eight bedrooms as a separate um change of use yeah, no, definitely. And it might seem like a, you know, a bit of a, a silly question, but surely the quality really does have to be on point with those rooms. You know, if yeah. you're saying that a standard, a, a single room in a HMO will cost £700 a month, but in a buy-to-let where you've got more space, you're charging £650 a month. So obviously... Well, we're not char- so the buy-to-let is £1,500, but when it's netted down to ah, what you right. get as the investor in your pocket, it's turned right. out 650 so right. the reason these work really well is your competition is a one-bedroom flat, right? Mm-hmm. So from a HMO to a one-bedroom flat. So that that's your sort of competition. If you look at the cost to the user, the end user, if you buy a one-bedroom flat, I'm, I'm building uh, 12 one-bedroom flats at the moment in, in Southampton. Now, they would rent out for 1000 to £1,100 flat, right? Yeah. So when you put council tax on that, utilities, bills, blah, 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 the, the tenant is going to be paying somewhere in the region of 14 1500 pound a month yeah yeah so one of our hmo rooms which some of you know my biggest biggest hmo room is 18 and a half square meters with an ensuite so they're pretty decent sized rooms we always build 10 square meters or bigger and we can talk yeah. about that but that's sort of a regulation thing but we we always build 10 square 10 square meter rooms or bigger um obviously the bigger room you can make the better it is the tenant but that that size room will rent from 725 i think is our cheapest room um up to 850 is our most expensive room now within that they get all their bills you know yes they have to share a kitchen but they have a nice nice size room ensuite tvs on the wall they have a flat screen tv on the wall 
uh, their own ensuite. It's done to a high standard. They're all pretty fresh. We look after them, keep them well-dressed, well-decorated, um, and they get a really nice high-spec kitchen uh, with communal area and everything they can use. So it probably they've got more space than in the flat, okay. although they have to share it with other people. But the type of person that we're looking at is your young working professionals, you know, maybe ex-university yeah. students that are in their first or second jobs, or it might be people that are in an area for work. They may work Monday to Friday in that area and have a house somewhere else. So it just... The price point is considerably cheaper to them in their actual cash they have to spend each month. And the, the condition, the flats are, I mean, a lot of our, you know, unless you're in a brand new flat, a lot of our HMOs are considerably better than the, than the rental stock on the market. So it's actually quite a nice place for them to live. No, definitely. And uh, like, obviously when you've got a property, let's say you've got, I don't know, a six bed HMO and, that, and that's yeah. in your hands and you're wanting to obviously get tenants what's the marketing process how do you get them to you know uh, sign a lease so we don't actually do <laughs> i don't do tenant management um we we actually work very closely with a couple of management companies in in the areas we operate in um we, right so with our own stock and with our client stock we we basically for clients we provide a completely hands-off service so we develop we take them all the way through from you know, an initial phone call to find out what the goals and objectives are all the way through the whole process and deliver them a, a fully functioning seven or eight bedroom HMO at the end of it. Right. Um, we wow. sometimes deliver bigger ones. We're doing a 14 bedroom at the moment for a client, but um, uh, you know, that's fully, fully managed. But we, we hand that over at the end to a management company that we that specialize in HMOs because ultimately the ma- I find the management of properties to do it well, you need to focus on specializing. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. too many management companies out there that try and take on HMOs and do it very, very badly. Um, because they're not specialists in HMO. So we work, we make sure that we do what we're good at, which is the development side and the, you know, all the legalities and the technical elements of getting these properties developed and through planning and refinanced and, and all the bits that go in with it, because it's quite a process in its own right. Um, and then we leave the actual day-to-day management to a, to a trusted management company. But we work very closely with them, um, you know, before and after the development, getting tenants in and out. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, yeah, sorry, right, sorry, Bill. They use... Uh, predominantly they use things like spare room and uh what have you those, those sort of platforms that they get marketed on a lot of the times but yeah yeah and they've obviously got you know you can get a higher premium on those because it's a uh, if i'm right it's more short term um so yeah I, I, like obviously you know rather than signing up to a longer term is that is that what they do so they do it on like a short-term basis so that the tenants pay more or not, I think it's just, I mean, the, the tenancy agreements are six months rather than, you know, if you go on okay. site to let it be, I think it, it's not so much that they pay more. I mean, it's not like service accommodation, which is where you're charging by the night and you can charge a premium for those units. Yeah. We do do service accommodation as well, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, it's just the fact that you're, you're doing it by the room. So the, in the nicest possible way, the more rooms we can get into a property, the more profitable that property will be. Obviously, there's a careful balance between squeezing, you know, and this is what the regulations are there for, squeezing tons and tons of rooms in it and delivering a good product. You know, we always say, so, you know, our seven and eight bedrooms are as big as you can go before you need to add new kitchens. Like the 14 bedrooms got three kitchens in it. So it's a kitchen per floor. And you, you couldn't have that big a house with just like one kitchen and one facility. Um, so it's just understanding what you're doing and what you're creating and making sure that it's going to appeal to the end user because ultimately if it doesn't appeal to the end user you've got a problem on your hands yeah 
Very true. Very true. And uh, yeah, sorry to go off in a bit of a tangent, but I just felt like right. it, was, it was interesting to to dive right into that nitty gritty. But yeah, I guess <laughs> now I, I, I sort of want to understand, you know, a bit more about your earlier life and um, you know what really led you to this to this space. So if you could just like touch on that, you know, did you go to university? Did you have jobs prior to yeah. becoming an entrepreneur, property investor? What was the crack? I think I'm. Uh, to be classified as a full entrepreneur, I would say I'm pretty late to the game of being a proper uh, proper entrepreneur. I'd say now, yeah, we're an entrepreneur. We, you know, we do our own, you know, run our own businesses. We've got multiple businesses within within the group structure and the framework of what we do. Um, mm. But that's only been over the last few years, realistically. I'd say before that, I was a, a part time property developer and a property investor. Uh, okay. But my my background basically is, is working in the super yacht industry. So, um, oh, wow. I. And prior to that, I, my parents, my dad had a sort of a bit of a development company on the side of their main business. So I sort of grew up around, you know, refurbs and extensions. I think there's pictures of me as a five or six year old in the middle of building size. Not sure you're allowed to do that anymore, but hey, that was the 80s. So that's quite good. Um, as I grew up, you know, my parents had uh, a sailing boat and I sort of was in the sailing, sailing world, uh, went to university, did maritime management at university, um, ended up leaving university and flew out to South France went and jumped on a super yacht, spent 10 years running around the Mediterranean in the Caribbean, which was quite good fun. Got into big projects in the super yacht world, so did uh, got involved in a couple of new builds and then worked my way up the ladder on super yachts, ended up being a captain and known as representative on super yachts. And then that led me into doing sort of big refurbs and big projects for owners and, and what have you in the super yacht industry. So very, a lot of similar skills, yeah. just a few more zero two more zeros on the end of it so like i say the, the last project we did which we finished in covid was 27 million so we ran that um with about 80 people on site every day doing pretty much a mega rebuild um we've done a couple of new builds which are i think excess of 100 million pounds worth of dupiots and we used to run that for owners so yeah so that that's where that got to and then we just got to a stage where i was away too much i wanted to be in, in the uk I wanted to have a business um adding i've always sort of had that drive to do things because i've always been running these projects and things but it's not like it's not the same as setting up your own business you know the last the last few years of setting up your own business that's uh that's uh you know it's a whole nother level of uh sort of go for us i mean i'm pretty pretty quick i talk quite fast <laughs> so i'm pretty i'm pretty full on at the most at the best of times so um I've really enjoyed it, you know, and I really enjoy the journey. I find there's a lot lot of fun challenges and ultimately it's all down to you, you know, you've got to make the deals work, you've got to make the, you know, keep everything rolling and uh, I find that quite a good challenge. So I think, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a born out and out uh, entrepreneur, shall we say, but I think it's something I've grown into and uh, yeah, sort of re- really enjoy doing nowadays and I don't think I've changed it. It's, uh, it's quite good fun and we're just building the company now from strength to strength and that. Uh, the projects are getting bigger and bigger, so we'll see see how we go. No, amazing. And uh, maritime management, I've, ne- I've never heard of that one before. Uh, but what did you learn in that? What was it about? Uh, not 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 a huge amount. Uh, no, to be honest with you, I think I, I, if I look back now, yeah. I had a lot of fun at university, and I think anyone that went to university with me might might agree with that. Um, but I think you know. Like I've taken, so my nephew now does all my social media, does some work for me, bits and pieces. He's 20, he's 20, I think now. And he started his own business, you know, 20. And I think mm. looking back on the world now, and I think entrepreneurship has come on considerably over the last 20 years. And the sort of the, 
the ethos around it and the way to get it. It's probably easier to get into entrepreneurship now than it perhaps was 20 years ago when we were, you know, when we were in our sort of younger years. And also I didn't have that mindset then. I think now, um, especially over the last sort of five or six years, I've concentrated a lot on mindset, you know, do a huge amount of reading, a huge amount of, uh, t- you know, absorbing podcasts on business and CEOs and, yeah. uh, you know, just, just driving that. And I think that's a much more of a trend nowadays and it was 20 years ago and i think you know for kids coming through there are you know when i was there it was like go to university get a university degree but to be honest with you i've never really used my university degree i went away when i worked on super got qualifications on job over there that led yeah. to the big, the big project the property investing developing side of things was just something i was interested in i like property i've always been you know always yeah. been interested in it and to be honest with you i'd say the first 10 years of property investing is trial and error for me. I never, I didn't do any mentorship. I didn't do any training. I just kind of was like, we'll buy that property. We'll develop it, you know, and yeah. most of it touch wood has been pretty successful. Um, you know, we've done quite a few of the projects that have worked out pretty well. Um, we've had, I did do one 270 year old Cobb farmhouse. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. Um, that was an interesting project, but we learned a lot. So, uh, we didn't, we didn't lose any money, but we didn't make too much money. We had to sell it. Early. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, but yeah, like I say, a lot of that is uh, trial and error. Now we have, you know, I've been doing it for 15 years. We've got our strategies at work. We've got our formulas at work. We do, you know, pretty much cookie cutter on what we do now uh, because we know what things work. And we've done a lot more training over the last five years around property, sourcing, developing, investing. I'm part of a thing called the Developers Club, which is a, a network of, you know, sort of developers. And you learn a lot with those guys and can throw ideas about. And it's just, you know, you just surround yourself with these kind of people and those kind of environments you you know you naturally get better and better year on year definitely definitely and like obviously now you're a massive advocate for you know building a business and entrepreneurship so yeah let's say if you were like 17 years old 18 years old and um yeah you're a young lad or a young lass and you're, you you maybe think that uni is not the right thing for you you don't want to take that path what would you do I think the younger you start these things, you're going to make mm. mistakes. Whatever you're doing, however old you are when you start, you are going to make mistakes in whatever you're doing, right? Because it's just the nature of life. So there's, yeah. I, I think there's a lot to be said for starting out young because ultimately you've got no real responsibilities. You've got no real ties. You can afford to make mistakes and survive and go again and again. You know, if you look at all the, like one thing, one thing I've been very fortunate about from the superior industry I've yeah. been, I worked for 20 years for some of the wealthiest and, you know, high powered people in the world. You know, the last guys we worked for had a portfolio of $18 billion. Um, you know, so you get firsthand one-on-one time with those kind of people, which you just would never do in any other industry. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, you can learn a lot from that. So to go back to your question, you know, all of these guys and gals that we've worked with and met over the years started very young and, you know, started out. And they all make mistakes along the way, you know. They still make yeah. mistakes even to this day. Quite frankly, it's how about it's all about how you, you know, you get pick you pick yourself up and go again from a mistake because it's going to happen sooner or later. Um, yeah. But if you start early enough, you can afford to make those mistakes, learn along the way, start small, start with you know something that interests you at the end of the day because you're going to have to put a lot, a lot of effort in. And I think the biggest problem, perhaps for 17, 18 year olds, is working out potentially what direction they're interested in because i know when i was 17 18 i didn't really have a direction or where i wanted to go in life you're kind of influenced by your mates and that's not always the best thing because you need to have a look at who you're hanging out with when you're 17 and 18 i know but, you know i sometimes sit there and go eh, you know some of them are good some of them are not uh, <laughs> likewise 
Yeah, exactly. But you only learn this, you know, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, whatever. But at the time, yeah. you've got to look at what you're doing and what those decisions will do around your future and things like that. But ultimately, it's finding something that you like. And then ultimately, it's finding figures that you can look up to that are doing what you're doing, but perhaps a couple of steps ahead. There's no point in looking at a go, you know, for us, we're, you know, we're doing okay for property development. But it's like the guys that are doing $18 billion worth of property, there's no point in me looking up to them and going, oh, why, why haven't I got that? Because they are, you know, there's so many steps ahead. You need to go, okay, who's doing... 10 million pound deals, that kind of thing. That's where where I'm looking and going, okay, how are they doing a 10, 10 million pound site? You know, we're doing 2 million pound sites. How do we go from 2 million pound sites to 10 million pound sites? You know, it's that step and you learn from the people above you. Then you get to that step and then you've got to learn from the next one. So, you know, from me, I think mentorship is very good yeah. or networky kind of groups. You've got to be careful with mentorships that you're getting mentored by the right people. Um, yeah. At the end so of the day, there's true. a lot of, there's a lot of hot fluff out there, let's say that much. Um, yeah, a lot of scum artists. Well, there's just a lot of people. I, I know in our industry, you know, it's one thing I've never really, I've been asked a few times now if we can do mentoring and things like that. And I've never felt that we're advanced enough to, to mentor people, if you know what I mean. I, I know what I'm doing and we do it for clients all the time and yeah. we run through with clients. So we basically mentor clients. But to, t- to charge someone 10, 15 grand for a year's mentoring, I could probably do it. Yeah, but yeah. I just think you you've just got to be sensible about what you're doing. There's too many people out there that are a year into it and doing mentoring, yeah. and you're like, we've been doing 15 years, and I, yeah. still, you know, I still see things. You're like, oh, sure, oh. we get away with things sometimes. You know, something they're not quite as they should be, um, yeah. and it's just like I just think that, you know, it's too it's too hot topic to go mentoring people. It's too easy for people to do it. Um, people buy into it, and they're just buying to someone that can sell them stuff, and it's. It's not always the right solution. So you've got to start with someone that good. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's incredibly humble of you because you get people out there nowadays who will buy a single buy to let and think they're Sam Zell. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's crazy. And I think in that space as a whole now, in the mentorship space, because there's been, you know, a lot of these, well, I don't like to call them scam artists, but you know what I mean? People who yeah. are just looking to, you know, charge people money when they haven't got the experience to be able to support that and um, and then there's a group who actually do have the experience and have got all the right knowledge and will really change someone's life who just get clouded in this dark space so yeah yeah it, it's, it's it's crazy really yeah um but yeah i guess like a, a, another another question obviously you know you worked in the super yacht industry and to me that screams obviously ultra high net worth like, did you learn anything from these people who you obviously, you know, spoke to on a one-to-one basis and were you able to leverage that network later uh, in your career or, or was it we, just... I, yeah. I tell you what I learned is mm-hmm. that these people are all normal. Actually normal, yeah. but most of them, most of them are normal. Most of them are normal people, right? The yeah. guys that have made the money are, especially if they're self-made, and they've obviously got a very, very hard work ethic. They've already very dedicated to what they do because you don't get there without, you know, spending a huge amount of time and energy to, into doing it. Um, but the, like down on a, on a personal level, they're all just normal people. And it's like, you know, yeah. which just shows you that realistically anything is obtainable at the end of that. And that's, that's one thing you take away from it. It's like, um, and to be honest with you, some of the people I've met, are not the cleverest let's just say that much but they they've got themselves into a situation 
where yeah. they've done very well out of it. And through whether that's through grit and determination or being in the right place at the right time, there's there's probably an element of luck to it, but there's a lot of, you know, calculated bits and pieces that go with it. Now, yeah. as far as leveraging the network, um, I think we're working to, right, okay, so predominantly the levels of super yacht owners and those kind of people is another level of money. Um, yeah. we're, we're not in a big enough league of property developing to do anything that's of interest, should we say, to them. Um, I do have, you know, I've got plenty of them on WhatsApp and speed dial and I've run deals past. So uh, the guys that I used to work for, I've run deals past and have chats with them and things like that. So they will just talk to you about it. But as far as actually doing a deal with them, I'd need to be buying a skyscraper. So watch this space, we'll see what we can do. But um, no, that that's the sort of level they're, they're at yeah. as far as the deal they're doing. So we predominantly work with, you know, our investing partners are wealthy, but they're not, Super wealthy. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, exactly. Just purely because they're they're doing deals that will make them, you know, a hundred million, two hundred exactly. million, three hundred million, whatever, whatever it is, rather than you know a few million. We're not in the right league. No, no, definitely. Do you hope to get to that league? We're working. We're working towards it. I keep my black book full. Let's say that much. But uh, no, it's it's all it's all about you know each we 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 develop and invest on a sort of an opportunistic level deal by deal uh we're yeah. looking at things we are we are actively trying to scale the size of our development because ultimately um as margins get squeezed on all property investing you know in general with bill costs going up interest rates going up you actually naturally lose a bit of margins on the back end so you know 20 years ago you were looking you know you look at a site 30 30 30 now you're looking at a site and you're going you know, we can take 20% profit margin out of that. We're probably doing okay at the end of the day. We try and start at 25. By the time you finish, if you're in 20, you, you're doing okay. You know, on, on a, yeah. a block that we're selling off, that kind of thing. And, yeah. You know, and as all these costs get pushed and the land prices go up, you, you almost need to go to the bigger sites to get that 20% margin to be big enough to be worth, you know, to make it a bit more interesting to be doing. So that's, that's where we are going, yeah, basically. But equally... We've got all our client side of business, so that that's sort of our development side, if you like. And then we've got all our client side yeah. of business, which is which is interesting. I like the client side of it, to be honest with you. I like the um, the array of people that it uh, puts us in connection with, which you wouldn't be in connection with otherwise. So you know, and that and that's quite good because we're helping a lot of people get in and invest, and you know, that are either busy individuals or otherwise wouldn't yeah. be getting into that HMO thing because it is relatively complex to get in and do the HMO developments especially when you're sort of starting from scratch without too many hiccups. And, you know, hopefully we help them dodge any mistakes along the way and, you know, they can leverage our experience in that and get a nice investment at the end of it. So, and equally, some of those guys are now becoming investing partners for our other projects. So it's kind of a feed, it's a bit of a feeder process for those of them as you bigger stuff as well. Yeah, like a, a big a big loop in a sense, really, isn't it? It all, yeah. all feeds each other. So, yeah, I yeah, know incredibly interesting and like obviously you touched on the newcastle property that you bought was that that, that your first buy to let that you that was my um, first buy to let i still got it actually doesn't really um <laughs> i kept it it's like a souvenir more than anything um <laughs> no we we bought a few up there we sold we sold pretty much everything off up, 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 up that way because it was all in our personal name as well because it was pre-section 24 um so what we're doing nowadays is we're pretty much as we buy something else down south we offload yeah. everything up north um, with a view. We, we haven't got a huge amount left up north. We're pretty much uh, pretty much offloading nowadays. And I guess 
obviously you know it was your first buy to let so just talk me through like that process and you know your experience that first hand experience of um investing in property and getting a bit of skin in the game yeah i think i, I for anyone starting i'm a relatively big believer in start small because whatever you're going to do you're going to learn a lot you know and we have some clients to come in and, and want to jump around to the hmo game which is fine but they do it with us so we kind of help them through the process so that alleviates some of the risk level if you're going if you're going today go okay i want to go and get into property investing i definitely wouldn't suggest jumping into a development as your first thing because not a big development but thanks because there is a a lot of moving parts of the development um the buy to let uh i would go and get one of those maybe do a brr kind of thing on a buy to let that's relatively cheap because you're going to make mistakes you're going to learn things along the way you're going to miss budget something or miss some cost bits and pieces along the way so the the more vanilla you keep the first one and just go through the cycle yeah better it will be for you it's not going to be the best investment in the world ever on your first one it's just finding something that's sensible that's reasonable that's got some form of uplift that you can get so you can recycle some of the money out of it or all the money or do a flip that you're you know you're going to sell at the end of it just to get yourself through that cycle and through those elements so you learn the process for yourself because you can read every book you can go on every training course but in reality there's nothing quite like doing something yourself to learn learn your way through it um and ultimately you're going to need to learn the process to to go up to the next level realistically um and if you not to talk our clients out of any of uh, myself out of any work, but if you rely completely on someone like us to do all your investing, you're going to miss those potential early steps, which are quite interesting. To be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and you learn a lot along the way, but um, yeah, so that's, that's what I would say. Start small, start sensible, um, do one, whether you sell it, keep it, flip it, whatever you want to do with it, but just, just to run through the whole motions of doing it for yourself. So you've got a good understanding and then, you know, work with someone like us to do the HMOs or something slightly more complex especially for the first one. So you get your hand held through the more complex development or complex strategy so that you don't necessarily mess it up. No, definitely makes sense. And, you know, how did that first buy to let spiral into Brent or Prophecy Group? Uh, well, that's a good question, isn't it? So uh, up until 2007, 18, everything was purchased in our own name. Then they brought Section 24 in. Um, so then we had a property called Brentor, actually, that was uh, yeah. for service accommodation. So that was the first property that went in into the limited company because it was running a service accommodation called Brentor. So we just called the thing Brentor. And then we started adding. It was, like, it was set up, so we just started adding some more properties into it. Um, yeah. And then that sort of developed into Brentor Properties. Um, and then once we started doing it full time, we opened up. Uh, got a holding company which sits above everything and then we started having trading companies SPVs and blah 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 so that sort of Brentor then developed into Brentor Property Group and we, where we are where we are now where we have the, the client side of it our development side of it our own holding properties and uh, mm. and a few other bits and pieces we've just recently started a new company called the Housing Collective which is all social based on social housing so uh, okay. we've got we work with a number of um, social housing providers down here and um, and we're doing a lot of housing. So we're basically buying sort of things like care homes and taking on care homes um, and converting them over to big HMOs and putting social housing people in them, basically. Uh, so we're, we're just doing a 28-bedroom at the moment, which is a, which is an interesting little project. So work there, we'll do the part on that one. But uh, yeah, different angle. What, what's the opportunity with social housing then? Cashflow. Cashflow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in, the, in, the, in the simplest in the simplest terms, uh, you know, 
one thing I've learned over the years, businesses without cash flow die very quickly. So we have our developments are chunky. They are any anyone that does development will understand it's why it's kind of feast or famine with the development. You've got, you know, you start your build, you pump a lot of money into the thing, you've yeah. got a year, two years, whatever the size of the development is, where you're just throwing money into a big black hole and hoping it comes out the other side. Okay. You know, obviously then when you sell it off, refinance or whatever you're doing, you get your money back and up it goes. But you've got to get from A to B always. So what yeah. I'm a big believer in alongside those developments is making sure that you've got a solid line of cash flow because ultimately that'll get you out of trouble. Um, ultimately that keeps the lights on, keeps you guys employed, keeps, you know, everything moving uh, and helps you live a lifestyle. So almost all people that are successful in property, almost, mm-hmm. and I don't say all of them because there are pure hour and out developers and, you know, there are there's some great examples in the developers club of guys that are just doing mega things on development, but almost all successful people in property have got a cash flow business alongside yeah. their property purchasing and holding company because yeah. You will see a lot of people sell on courses the dream that you can, you know, but invest your way to, you know, a passive income. And you can, don't get me wrong, you can do that. But by the time you nail everything down, just remember those numbers aren't always as pretty as they look. Um, so you do need to have some form of cash flowing thing, whether that's a job, and there's nothing wrong with having a job, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, like we do with our clients, whether it's like we do with our social housing element, where, where just, you know, we're buying big bigger properties and putting bums on seats for, for just pure cash flow. It helps a lot and gives you options with your other sites and your other things that are going along and then they can make lumps of lumps of money, you know, as they come to fruition. Yeah, no, amazing. And um, just to like take it back, because um, there's, there's a lot of interesting things to unpack there. Um, but obviously, you know, transforming that buy to let into Brent's or property group and obviously hearing about you know that process what was the key to scaling do you think <laughs> i think um good question i mean i i i have personal targets that i like to hit so i think yeah. you know as with anything we set goals um i think i'm a big believer in if you're going to do anything do it properly so i think that gives you the drive to, and ambition to scale uh you know i'm not one just to sit still Anyone that knows me knows I work, um, I pretty much work from about six in the morning to about nine at night, pretty much six days a week, if not six and a half days a week. Um, you know, I, I'm a bit of a workaholic. I'm a bit of a just get up and go kind of person. So yeah. I think that there's a lot of drive behind myself. And I think you need that as an mm. entrepreneur. That's one of the biggest things you need to have. Is you need to enjoy what you're doing and you need to be bloody driven because there's going to be some crappy days out there and you're going to have to plow through them and there's yeah. going to be problems you know every day no without fail i'm solving at least five problems whether that be you know big small or indifferent whatever they are there's yeah. at least five you know five problems like even today we've had a few properties that are you know borderline issues with the sellers going we're going to pull out because it's taking too long and this is a problem and that's a problem the lenders are asking questions yeah you know you're always firefighting something or another yeah and trying to build and manage a team and look after the guys and girls that are, you know, doing plus your own development site. And, you know, it's it's pretty full on. Um, yeah. You know, you need to build a good team around you. We're just, you know, we're we're at the early stages of that. You know, there's there's five five employees that work with us directly, but then we work very closely with solicitors, with mortgage brokers, with build com- uh, contractors, with you know partners that will work for us on a consultancy basis and things like that so the team around the, the group is quite big now 
but the actual, you know, we're relatively lean as a company to keep it that way on purpose. But we outsource a lot of stuff um, to be able to deal with it and scale uh, a cost-effective way, really. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and what are the, like, what do you do to almost like keep yourself going with it all? Because obviously, you know, six and a half days a week is a lot of, a, a lot of hours working, you know, from 6 to 9 p.m. Is there anything yeah. that do you have like a routine? Yeah, I normally get up and I've got, so we've got a sort of office here, an office in Southampton. Um, I pretty much get up and I'll go to the gym first thing in the morning. I've got a gym in uh, in our in our house, so I, that sort of cheat a little bit, makes life a little bit easier. So I, I get up and go do that at five o'clock. Um, I'll be in the office, you know, gym for an hour, 45 minutes, shower, cup of tea, in the office, picking up. Because you get a lot of stuff done, I find, between mm. six and nine and from five till you know, whenever, whenever we sort of finish, stop the dinner or whatever. But the, the bit in the middle of the day, you're dealing with people, problems, clients, whatever, whatever is coming up, but you're always dealing with those things. So I find the shoulder hours, I actually mm-hmm. get the, probably if you call it, I mean, the strategic work done, the, the, the stuff that moves the needle forward at the end of the day, because during the day you're dealing with the noisy stuff. Yeah. 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 No. So no. Um, as far as routine goes, yeah, it's, it's just get get some exercise done, um, get in there. If I'm driving anywhere, then I like to listen to like audio books or podcasts and things like that, um, just to get, again, mind working. Um, Thursday, well, every other Thursday we have development clubs, so that's quite a good thing. So uh, that's sort of schedule. Weekends, I live in the new forest, so I like to get out and go into the forest, go bike riding, and, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. And then you try and do something different but and to be honest with you the six and a half day of the week is a the sunday i try not to work but i always end up planning my mondays or something like that on the sunday so um <laughs> no, i'm with so, you there i try i try and do something else on sunday but historically you always end up in the office or something like that just just tinkering around not doing like proper proper work but just getting ready for the week ahead uh at some stage for a few hours <laughs> yeah i know exactly and um like another thing i guess is obviously, you know, as you're building like this portfolio and all of this sort of stuff, um, has it had like a toll on your personal life? You know, what are the sacrifices that you've made to get into the position where you're at now? Or have you been sort of, you know, decently lucky in a, in, in a sense where, you know, everything's sort of falling into place? Um, I think we designed it in a way that works with getting to where we need to get to, if you know what I mean. So I don't, you know, I, I don't have children. Um, as nice as children are, I've never really had the urge to have my own children. Um, I've mm. got nephews and nieces and that's okay. Um, you see them and let them, <laughs> you see them. So, you know, I think hats off to anyone that runs a full family and runs a successful business, because I think that, you know, that, that eats up a lot of your time. Whereas, you know, for me, my wife's an interior designer. She's very busy with her her project. You know, we spend time together in the evenings. We spend time together in the office, and we sort of try and spend as much of Sundays together as we can. You know, just to just to to you know to partition time off together. But I think you know, I think the main sacrifice is if you're going to be successful and you're going to push through and you're going to do a lot of things, is you're probably going to sacrifice time with friends. I think that's probably one thing that we don't do a huge amount of nowadays you know i still go and see them. i actually went for dinner with a friend last night just um just afterward yeah. um but you know you can't be sat in a pub 
you know, every day at five o'clock to go and do that. It's just, it's just not conducive to, to yeah. being successful and to doing things, you know? So again, as I said earlier, you know, especially for the younger guys and girls coming through, it's like, okay, look at what your friend circle are doing. Are they talking about investing? Are they talking about business? Like if, if, you know, it's not for everyone. Some people like it sitting in the pub and enjoy themselves and have a nice life. It's not, you know, just, it's got to be your personality and your, you know, your direction you want to go. But if you're, if you want to, get forward and push forward and grow yourself and grow a business and you know i'm not saying i still don't think myself successful you know in some people's eyes they'll look at us and go yeah you're successful to me i still look at the guys that got you know billions and go okay yeah that you know we're not there yeah yeah are you successful is there ever enough and i think that's one of the things that keeps you hungry and driven and pushing forward um but i think for the younger guys coming through you just got to really evaluate what you're trying to achieve yeah who you're hanging out with, because that would have a massive effect on on where you go in real life, um, and and have a plan of how you're going to get there. Have a twelve a twelve month plan. Have a three year plan. Have a five year plan. You know, we use the thing called the twelve week year, so we schedule everything on a three month. I have a you know I have a a twelve month plan, a three year plan, a, a five year plan, but then we break that down into a three month plan within the year, and in even in that, I break down. A weekly plan each week that we want to achieve the things that we want to achieve that we're trying to do so there's a lot of scheduling there's a lot of small steps along the way to get to the big ones and and that's important because if you just look at a big thing that's miles away you'll never get there you need to break that down and have those manageable bite-sized little bits you know and if you can win something every day a little bit even if it's just something very small you, you step in the right direction each way just something to tick off and, and move forward no, definitely. And what's the best property deal that you've ever done? Ooh, best property deal I've ever done. <laughs> um, I okay. The pure money spent. Yeah. I think one of the early deals was a cracking little deal, right? And it is not the biggest. It's not the most money, but it's it's for the money spent, right? So we brought a one-bedroom flat for a hundred and fifty thousand pounds. We spent fifteen thousand pounds on a refurb, literally painted it new, bathroom in there, and I think we put new new kitchen bits pieces in it, and sold it three months later for two hundred and seventy five thousand. Now, it was right. one of my, yeah, it was one of my first little development projects. Um, it was very simple, very quick, but I think out of all the things, like, it's funny one to remember because, like I said, it's not the biggest money, but it's just a case of like the margins for what you spend and had to do to get the return that we got on it. We we did we brought it very very well. Let's say that much at that time. Yeah. So that was one I that was one I particularly enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I you know and again we're we're relatively new into the into the bigger development site space. You know we've got a few behind us now. Um, they, they're working quite well. We did uh, my wife's South African. We did five houses down there, new builds. Um, that was quite an interesting thing. I wouldn't right. overly rush into that again. Um, but uh, again, it wasn't it wasn't unprofitable. It wasn't bad, and it was very hands off. But uh, yeah, nice nice little process. So. We've done a few things in a few places, but HMOs ultimately really good for your cash flow. You're not going to beat them, you know, but they do leave a little bit of money in them. So you need to think about, you know, what's your next strategy to get that money back out. And that's why we do flips and development bits and pieces. Um, I think best client deal, I think we've got a very good one on the moment, which is this 14 bedroom. Again, brought very, very well. Um, I think we're going to be putting that over to social housing and refinancing that for a decent decent uplift without having to do anything purely on the strength of the um the yield and the contract that we're getting on the social housing so that's quite an interesting deal because it's not again not 
not a lot of work gone. Well, I wouldn't say yeah. not a lot of work gone into it, but not a lot of physical building work and things have gone into it. But we've managed to create a decent uplift through um, paperwork, and I think that's that's quite clever in this day and age. If you can if you can find strategies that allow you to utilize paperwork and and strength of leases and things like that to give you the uplift and buy well, then then it's not a bad way as well. So it's just creative uh, investing. So, so what do you mean by like the paperwork? Is that so? Well, so things like, okay, so if you do a title split, uh, this is this one wasn't a title split, but you if you do a title split, so you buy a block of flats, they're all on one yeah. freehold title. You go in there and you split that block of flats up into individual flats, individual leases. Mm. Nine times out of 10, you will find that you will have brought the block considerably cheaper and then you refinance out individually. You get this big uplift by purely doing paperwork exercise. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. You, so it's, it is it, what you said about being creative with it, and yeah. uh, like your investment thesis. You know, how do you strategize your next move, and what do you look at to invest in? What's that process basically? So right now, for us, we've got a target of four new sites next year. But this is personally for us, not client, not client stuff, but. We've got a target for four new sites for next year. Um, they are all to be a unit up yeah. or a or more units after conversion. So we are currently on an option agreement. We're just negotiating an option agreement on an office building in Winchester that we're hopefully converting into going to be about nine flats of subject to planning. Um, so that'll be quite a nice one. Um, all of our investment strategy at the moment for ourselves is commercial to residential or new build development um okay the reason we're doing that is because we're at a stage with our hmo investing where we've got enough hmos i don't yeah. particularly want to end up when i'm in my 60s 70s 80s with a massive portfolio of hmos they're a very very good tool to get to you know if you want a number 10 grand a month kind of thing in yeah, yeah the hmos yeah. and the fastest way to get there but once you've got that you want to then probably diversify your investments into yeah. easier investments now ultimately Buy to let to the easiest investment out there. However, yeah. one buy to let on its own, as we've already discussed, is a little bit boring, right? But if you can yeah. utilize density of development, so aka a block of flat, and you can get eight, 10, 20 units into this block that you're building or converting or buying and title splitting, then all of a sudden you've got the ease of buy to lets, but you've got the density of the development that then gives you multiple like multiple income from one unit. And then that de-risks that investment as well, because ultimately if you've only got one person paying the rent on the investment and they decide that they get unemployed and can't pay you the rent or whatever reason they decide not to pay the rent, and I've seen a few now over the years from uh, from tenants, yeah. um, you're de-risked in that investment because you've got 10, 20 people in there all paying rent. And if one person's not paying rent, it's not the end of the world. It's just annoying, yeah. but it's not the end of the world. Whereas if you've got one house with one person in it and they're not paying the rent, You've got a problem because you're still yeah. liable for your mortgage and all the other bits pieces that go with it. No, so incredible. And for me, it's yeah. about de-risking. The density of development is key 101. For anyone that wants to grow investing-wise, you've really got to look at that density of development because that's really the difference between average, average cash flow and good cash flow um, and also it protects your position. Incredible, yeah. And uh, are you actively on the move looking for these gems in the property market? Yeah. We do a yes. huge amount of sourcing. Again, so client, because we've got the client business where we're sourcing anyway, so we have, I've got like a full-time analyst 
So his job is just there and crunch, crunch others. He's ex KPMG investigator Houghton, and, and his job is just purely to sit there and crunch numbers all day long. Uh, so he he sits there and runs deals all day long for us. We just funnel everything over to him. Um, so we use um, multiples of strategies to find stuff. So obviously we we discuss, you know, we work with lots of uh, agents, estate agents. Never underestimate yeah. the estate agents. They get a lot of stuff sent to them. Um, a lot of good stuff never makes it to the light of day or right move, but nine times out of 10, it will go to them because people will send it to them. They will come to someone like us that can pretty much offload it very quickly. So they don't have to do all the viewing and all the other bits and pieces. So that comes to us all the time. Same thing with development sites and land agents and development agents. We also use a lot of software We uh, that identifies target properties. We go through planning portals. So if you've got planning permission, we do massive letter campaigns to uh, landowners, residential owners, estate agents, you know, you name it. We, we, we pretty much target every source that you can to find property. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and we do lead gen and we do lead gen and, you know, on social media so to find stuff for people that are selling. Ah, okay. Okay. And would you say like the off market ones are more, uh, lucrative than the ones, you know, for example, listed at your estate agents? Ah, uh, catch 22. So in the, in the development world, everyone thinks that their property or their piece of land is worth probably twice as much as it really is. <laughs> I was I was trying to think of the correct, a polite terminology to say that, but yeah, you know, they all think you know, especially if they got planning, they go, it's a piece of gold, you know, it's, it's worth tons. Our yeah. job is to show them in a in a fashion that's not too aggressive, that you know, that brings them to the conversation that we have cop right. At the end of the day, we're a business. We've got. You know, especially with the commercial ready stuff that we sell off at the end of it, there has to be this margin in it because otherwise, what the hell's the point in doing it? So we have to show them that it's not just build costs. Everyone goes, oh, what's your build cost? Okay, conversion, 160 a square foot, 150 a square foot, something like that around where we are. Um, development, you're looking yeah. depending on what spec you finish it up with ground up, you're looking at something like 220 to 250 a square foot. For your building cost, right? What they all right. forget is all the other costs that go into a development. So, you know, there's your cost of finance. There's of all your consultants. There's you know NES one hundred six seal nitrates, whatever the council decided to throw in there next. I think biodiversity is the next one that they're thinking. So we all got to put bird, birdhouses on buildings and bits of grass here and there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> all that nonsense. Yeah. So. There's a lot of bits that people don't necessarily put onto their things when they go, okay, they they look at it and go, okay, area price is 500 square foot. This thing's going to be worth 2 million when it's done. We're going to take, you know, a million for the land. And you're like, yeah, but it's going to cost us a million to build it by the time, you know, exactly. they don't always look at everything. So we have to, you have to do it generally. You have to do it in a fashion that works for everyone. We're ultimately here to create win-win situations. You know, I'm doing the, guy, the site that we're doing, negotiating on the moment in Winchester, um, that we literally just put our whole cost plan to the owners and just said, look, this is the, this we're a pure open book on our numbers, the whole lot. I just said, this is what the GDV is. These are all our costs because we run them through our big analyzers anyway. This is the pot that's left and we've got to make some profit and you need to have the, 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 the thing purchased. How much do you want for it? And I said, I don't do it for less than, you know, we don't do it for less than 25 because we always end up at 20. Um, so you've got to, you've got to gently negotiate and it's, you know, that doesn't matter whether it's a, Terrace house or yep. big ass site. At the end of the day, it's all the same thing. You just gotta you gotta find a mutual mutual position that works for both parties, and that that's the key to I think any negotiation, um, any deal is not trying to 
cut their legs off, but equally don't lose your trousers kind of thing. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess another thing is, you know, in the property space at the moment, you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, you can start with zero and be successful. What's your take on that? Like, what's your opinion? Do you think it's a, a load? You can of, uh, you can start with zero as long uh, you can start with zero as long as you know someone with a lot of money. Um, look, prop, property, property. There's there's all money deal like all money out deals. I mean, fundamentally, there's ways to make money in property without money, right? You've got mm. you know, there's a lot of people that start in the property sourcing world. There's a lot of mm. people that start in the rent to rent world. Now, rent to rent busy if you get the wrong strategy or you do the wrong things you can very quickly get into trouble on rent to rent and yeah. equally there's a lot of people in the sourcing world that have hello uh there's a lot of people in the sourcing world that have no idea what the hell they're talking about that they're claiming they're to be sourced in the nicest possible way um you know you you see a lot of people that will manipulate numbers and a lot of people that uh just send stuff out that just isn't really worth doing or they don't provide no. the full service. You know, that one thing that I think differentiates us from a lot of people is the fact that we literally will take someone the whole way through us, the, the service. You know, we start at the beginning and, you know, they can be involved or not involved as much as they want, really, through the whole yeah. process. You know, I've got clients that sit on the beach in Bali. We've got clients in Dubai. We've got clients in Canada. We've got guys that are, you know, down once or twice a week kind of thing to come and see what's going on. So it all mm. comes down. We, we tailor our services on the client side to the client but mm. we, the, the fundamental goal is whatever we're doing it's all about that high cash flow and it's about recycling as much of that money as we can for the client so they can go again yeah. and build their portfolio um and i i see all too often people just throwing stuff out you know we've got this deal we've got that deal and you just look into it and you actually run the numbers and it's just like yeah it's not it's yeah. not it's not what they say it is let's say that i can imagine um, and uh, and that's something that they're um, so from actual physical investing, you can invest with no money, but you do need money. Yeah. 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 So if you're in the development world, like we work with investors, so we work with, um, you know, investing partners, joint venture partners, um, on our development site, um, they do the equity, we do the senior debt, we do all the project management and all the legwork on the site, but for, you know, they'll get 50% of, uh, of a development, but they put in that equity stack, which allows us to do the four you know, four or five projects at a time kind of thing that we're aiming to do um, on yeah. multiple projects uh, rather than us tying all our own cash up into one project and then get yeah. stuck there because ultimately you can't, you you need to do it on scale and do it successfully. You need a pipeline of deals coming through because one will be finishing, you need to be starting the next one, you need to be selling one off. You know, you need that natural progression and that takes money. Um, so ultimately everyone in property runs out of money sooner or later it's all about how you raise funds and how you um how you work with investors to do it i don't believe in like fully building a portfolio with no money whatsoever um you know from scratch you you need you need money <laughs> doesn't yeah. be yours but you need money no exactly and like who are these investors and who are these investor partners are they high net worth individuals the funds get involved and um, also no. uh, like you know presenting these deals to these investors what are they looking at predominantly and how do you go about selling it to them so we work um again so some of the investors come from our own pipeline and okay. we are so we're just actually we've just been offered a interesting process with a fund actually that will basically not forward fund our development but they will 
give us a 10% deposit on a development before we put a shovel in the ground well, on the GDB. So that's yeah. going to be a bit of a game changer. Um, that's very, very fresh, and we're just working on that at the moment. But that's, um, that's going to be a bit of a game changer because we're working on, I can't really talk about it right now, but we're working on quite a large deal. Not that we're building or buying it. We're just sitting in the middle of a deal. We brought a fund and we yeah. brought a seller together. Um, and we're sitting in the middle of it at the moment. There's quite a large deal just facilitating it um, in our sort of sourcing side. Um, and that same fund have then just told us what they can do for our own development. So that's quite an interesting process. So we're, it's early days on that, but we'll keep you posted because that's going to be a bit of a game changer if that comes yeah. off to uh, to fruition. Um, nice. And yeah, exactly. So that, that should be interesting. But the rest of the, the investors are, again, high net worth individuals or sophisticated investors, especially on the equity level. So we do we do like cash investors. So we do fixed term investing for non-sophisticated investors. So you get, you know, you someone comes along and says, I want to make £50,000 work whilst I'm waiting to do something else or whatever it is. We take the 50000 we invest it into one of our developments or one of our projects. We mm. give them 10 to 12% return, something like that, um, for six months, a year, whatever it is. So that's your everyday investor because it's a bit more it's guaranteed well i won't say nothing's guaranteed in life but it's secured against our own portfolio um you know the money goes in the money comes out they get their interest you know it's all known shall we say for the investor what they're getting into yeah if they come in on an spv for a development site you're looking they share the the rewards but they also share the risk so they have to be under an fca guidance you have to be either a high net worth investor or a sophisticated investor so you have to special um, sorry well spv meaning special purpose vehicle yeah yeah okay right and so that's that's literally limit it's a limited company it's basically a limited company purely designed we open it up we build a build a building whatever it is you know refurb a building that building sits in that company on its own when we sold it off or whatever then that company gets closed down. So it's literally right. a, per, a special vehicle that just facilitates yep. the development. It sits under our holding company. Um, and what happens is our shareholders will have a 50, you know, if, you're, if you're working with one shareholder, which is what we normally do, because otherwise you run into a few other FCA regulated problems. Um, to, <laughs> you you have your shareholder in has 50% and then our holding company has 50%. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. In- incredible. And um, yeah, just like as in presenting the deal to them, you know, how yeah. do you sell it? Um, deal, so we run it through. We have like a deal deck at the end of the day. Presentation, built on Canva, nothing too, too technical. Okay. We run through, we, we've got analyzers. So we have like a high-level analyzer, which is just a very, very quick, basic analyzer we do on lots of sites because ultimately that will tell us if we're in the right ballpark with what we need for returns. If it's completely rubbish, then you try it out. If it's kind of, you can see a margin or you think it might work or an, an angle that you can make it work, then we take it to our, big analyzer which is a pretty extensive excel document that crunches all the inputs that go in there from all the consultants and all your costs along the way um and gives you out your returns at the end of it once that if that works well then we then put it into our sort of marketing packs if you like um so that deal with all the all the highlighted figures um any planning anything that you're going to do or proposed planning goes in um and then we send that out to people that have expressed an interest in in investing with us that yeah. qualify for the amount of money that we potentially need for that development. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, and, uh, and at that point, so yeah, it's, a, it's a case of it's a it's a case of who's available at that stage. That you know, ultimately, one thing I've found with investors, especially sort of investing people that are looking to invest in developments, 
you'll talk to, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20, whatever it is, people that are, are interested in investing and have got funds. You won't have a deal at the time you spoke to them. Uh, then you go round back around that circle and you see, you know, half of them will be invested in something else at the time. They won't, their money won't be free. Um, so it's a game of, it's a bit like the chicken and egg thing, isn't it? But uh, yeah. you ultimately need a pool of people that are suitable and yeah. you need a pool of properties that are suitable to develop. So the game is to have both of them, you know, bubbling away at the same time and then hopefully you get one or two that line up. Yeah, and are these conversations like happening on email? Do you, do you, do you ring them up and say... And have conversations email. with them email yeah so it's... email zoom yeah so again you know we do probably half our weeks in zoom calls uh you know with new investors new clients old yeah. older clients and um, whatsapp emails uh we do a bit with bit you know we've obviously got a bit of a presence on social media not the biggest but there's a bit of a presence out there so see people see what we're doing and and come to us so you know again if you are interested in investing feel free to reach out uh <laughs> <laughs> No, great. And um, like probably like a, a, a nice ending question. Oh, I've actually got two, but like, you know, what's your five-year plan for rental? Have you got one? Yeah. Um, where do we want to be in five years? Or what's the five-year plan? I'm not sure how long. Yeah. Where, where, five, where did you five years? Look, I'm just, yeah. I think I've alluded to it a couple of times. I mean, ultimate goal is to be... For us, I want to be building bigger side. So my every, but you've got to learn along the way. So yeah. I don't particularly want to jump into a hundred unit site for ourselves right now because we're not really ready. You know, we're up to sort of 30 unit sites is kind of our area of development now. That's where we, that's where our sort of next year's plan is. Once we've done that, then you go to the next goalpost, you go to the next post. So within the next five years, we would like to be building sites that are, you know, that sort of 100, 100 unit kind of size sites and, and going bigger from there and then we see where we are. Um, that's what I would like to be doing in five years' time. Um, ultimately, we just keep growing the company. You know, I don't... Things come up, things change. You know, you've got to be... In any business, you've got to be nimble and be able to pivot it, if, yeah, if yeah. the opportunity comes up. But for me, you know, we're definitely going to be developing. Um, I want to build the client side of it. I think that's a really good... Um, good area to be in as well the client client business but I, again what we're looking to do probably more is separate the client and the and the development company a little bit further apart than they're a bit more standalone shall we say at the moment everything's obviously under the group um but the, we want to split the investment and the development company up a little bit further just so that they're more independent but uh, ultimately personally i want to be building bigger sites um bigger isn't always better but it feels like it that way, doesn't it? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a target at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, like, you know, it, it seems like, you know, everything's going right at the moment and you're on that trajectory. So, you know, best of luck with that. And I guess Thank you. then, then looking, looking back at, you know, your career so far, what would you say? is the most important thing that you've learned that you would transfer onto anyone out there who's looking to maybe follow in the same path? Um, I think you're you're in control of your success at the end mm. of the day. Um, you, whatever, whatever decisions you make along the way will contribute to your success. So like we mentioned earlier, like who you hang out with, you know, how much you want to work and put effort in, you know, there's a lot of people out there that promote 
um, making millions easy. Now, you know, in the in the in the YouTube era and things like that, I don't. I think those guys even work pretty hard. You know, real even the guys that are trying to make it look like they're not working hard probably wear their asses off to do what they're doing with yeah. with all of that. And I think it's it's too easy for people to think that they're going to have something handed to them on a plate, and you know, or they feel entitled to something. And I think really success comes from and everyone I've met that has made a lot of money um, that's been self-made has worked their asses off to get where they get to you know you probably have to be a little bit ruthless at some point with that you know and sooner or later in business you know you've just got to be you probably have to be you can't be 100% the nice guy the whole time because it won't work out but you know I think that there's how you deal with people how you treat people seem like you'd like to be treated yourself. I think that's quite important, but ultimately yeah. you've got to be able to, when you need to make a business decision, you need to be able to act and make the decision. You know, if you're too soft, you're going to get walked over in business, unfortunately, in the, in the nicest possible way. Um, but yeah, I think there's, it all comes down to you as a person is where you will end up. You know, if you sit at home watching Netflix every night of the week and, you know, and watching Netflix all, you know, 48 hour binge on the weekend, you're not going to succeed. I wouldn't, you, I might be proven wrong, but I, I don't think you're going to, you're going to get as far as you could do if you yeah. put the effort and the time in and find something you enjoy doing because if you don't do something you enjoy doing, you're going to, you're going to regret it and you're not going to get as far as you want because you're going to lose motivation and drive. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that's, you know, some incredibly useful advice for anyone to to take on and uh, yeah, will Thank you so much for for jumping on, fella. That's a great great place to end the podcast. Uh, no, we've learned. A, no, no, well, definitely, we've learned so so much, and um, yeah, looking forward to getting out for the viewers. And uh, obviously, you've got a bit of presence on social media, so we'll be plugging all of that there. So, any viewers who are looking to learn a bit about property, maybe learn more about um, Will and Brent's property group, then please give that a follow. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Will, and to to the guys out there. Make sure you stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you very much.